ngaba yomzi kwangwa kauta maskwa mkela metro fm talk Oh, Mshaya Zwamdi Abulela Thank you very much. Good evening to you and good evening to the Metro FM listeners. Let's maybe get straight into the nine, what you're calling the nine salient uh, features of your manifesto. I mean, uh, and I want to maybe talk uh, uh, just briefly, I guess, about the first one, because that's the one that, you know, this mm-hmm. issue of dealing with uh, the uh, local economies. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, in particular, of many, you know, of the places as Semapanje in is Lalin. I mean, how is the UDM going to deal with this? Because we know in South Africa, when we talk about dysfunctional municipalities, when we talk about municipalities that have no real taxable revenue base to tax because there's no industry in those parts of the world, many of those mm-hmm. happen to be in the former TBVC states or the former homelands Transkai, Moputatswana, mm-hmm. Venda, Siskai, Kazankulu. Gwandebele, uh, I mean, I can mention all of them. Uh, the UDM, uh, what is it that uh, you're offering to many people who uh, live in those parts of the world? And we also know, of course, many of the people who live in the city uh, see many of those parts of the world as home. Um, thank you once again for this opportunity and good evening to the Metro Sun listeners. That are one of the things that we have championed for many years. You will recall that in most of the TBVC states that you have spoken about, even general rural provinces, that they are industrial parks uh, that have been allowed to go to waste because mm. they have not been revitalized. If you, for example, we talk about the Eastern Cape areas such as the Baza, but all your former TBVC states, including your rural provinces, have such parks, industrial parks, which have not been revitalized. You will recall, let me make an example about the Timbaza one. Mm. There was a decision taken in 2017 to revitalize it, and the master plan was approved. And then funds by the Eastern Cape, I think it's the Eastern Cape uh, Development Corporation, uh, the allocation of funds that took place, I think, in 2019, where they spoke about 50 million rents as the first phase of that revitalization program. And the government had planned to spend about 2 billion rents at the time, over three or five years. But five years later, nearly five years later after that decision, the master plan was adopted in 2017. Nothing has really happened there. There's nothing that is really happening major in those, in that, especially in Timbaza. And I'm sure the, sa- the same can be said about the industrial parks around the country, which need revitalization by, mm. by government. It means that if you want to create jobs, you must create economic hubs, right? Uh, you must make sure that you, you, you disincentivize people from urbanizing. All of us run into cities, major cities, because the economies in rural areas are dying. The other issue is the only thing that uh, governments tend to do is to uh, roll out the expanded public works program mm. and call that meaningful empowerment. What you need to do is to understand the small business sector in a municipality that you govern. You also understand the, the informal sector and what interventions one can make in order to support them. But you can only do that if you understand who they are, in what line of business they are, and and. What you also need to do as a municipality, UDM government would do, is to understand that you also need to be proactive about which sectors of the economy in those municipalities you are going to encourage and incentivize people mm. to play a space in, and then what interventions and policies you can put in place. Otherwise, you are only going to have a situation where our people only own, say, for example, hypothetically speaking, cleaning businesses and security companies and some only sell on the side of the road in the informal sector, but never really graduate to the, to the formal sector. 
because you are in a local government setting, you have a better understanding of who's who in the zoo and who's doing what. And that mm. also speaks and goes to the issue, said um, as one that has to do with the unemployment rate. We are not going to get it right if we don't do it at foundation level to say municipalities, we must hold you responsible for the unemployment because no one stays really. I mean, people talk about the local government level, the provincial level, and national level. And usually, in the majority of instances, when people refer to us, People who are in parliament, they talk to us as people at national level. But really, no one stays at national level. We all stay at a municipality. And we're all accounted for at a municipality and not at a national level. And if we want to be able to get to the nub of the unemployment problem in South Africa, we need to be able to strategize and deal with it at that level by mobilizing resources and supporting businesses at that level. Mm. But you can't do that, Ayabonga, for example, if you have a government. There was one point, I don't know, I'm not too sure what the figure is now. There was one point where government owed small businesses about 7 billion rands in South Africa. If you owe a small business, even if it's a 1,000 rands, it might contribute to their demise. That's how small they are in the majority mm. of instances. And that's how reliant they are on cash flow on a daily basis. Now, you can't have a government that speaks left, rather that speaks right, and then walks left or when it comes to dealing with these challenges. The other issue in general is to say, you have a lot of graduates. I mean, our young people, they go to universities, attain degrees, and they go back to their homes and they join the unemployment queues. One of the things that we have been advocating for and we spoke about because we also saw it in Southeast Asia is how then the skills that young people acquire can be utilized in programs at local government level. Their skills can be deployed in programs and local government level so that they can be able to find solutions to problems uh, proactively rather than have a situation where they sit in the unemployment queue and all that they wait for is for employment from someone who is like them probably had a better opportunity, but I don't think the the people that employ most of our people are better gifted in terms of talent and Mm. expertise. So we need a rethink of the strategy of how we use the local government level, but we can't do that in Clarence. If we keep deploying people, we keep deploying councillors, for example, who, who then have the competence and the technical expertise to understand the complexity of the economy that you're dealing with, the dynamics of local government in general, but we just don't even know how to administer a municipality and to run a municipality. When I mean run a municipality, I know that we are the political class, there's the administration, but if you have wrong politicians in councils, you are not going to employ competent people in councils. What's going to happen is that we are going to view and use councils as an extension of, of political patronage networks rather than saying we want to use council so that we employ competent people who can deliver services to our people. Mm. And that's the difference. Until we are able to have that discussion, uh, we are likely to talk about this unemployment rate in abstract terms. And then we are shocked every time whether you use the expanded definition of employment, unemployment or the strict definition. But from where we're sitting, it's only the expanded definition that really exists because people are discouraged because of poor economic policies, that are implemented by government on a daily basis. Mm. People are discouraged because of the bad government choices that we make on a daily basis. So a UDM government at local government level will ensure that we're in touch with communities and understand those issues and how complex they are, the relationship with stakeholders, and the political dynamics at, at local government level. Very, very interesting, uh, you know, as we go through, I guess, uh, you know, your salient nine points and i want to pick up on something you've just raised now around i mean 
you know, a big part of your following, uh, you know, you got less than just under 4% of the vote in the province mm-hmm. of the Eastern Cape. And uh, uh, let me just get this right. Uh, you were able to get around 55 seats in many of the councils across the the province of the Eastern Cape in 2016. Now, that particular province, uh, you know, I guess is subject to the type of duality of all of the provinces that might have had former homelands in some shape or form. How do we deal with that issue? I mean, uh, you argue that uh, there needs to be, you know, some uh, appropriate valuation of municipal property rates. But the other issue is that we know large parts of the province, as in Pumakoloni, are not within the rates framework. So, in this mm-hmm. and not even contemplate paying rates or anything uh, and get free basic services in the main, largely because of where I've located myself. Should we be bringing some of those homes, I guess, uh, into the tax net in any meaningful way and uh, creating a land market? Because you can't have a rates framework if you don't have, I guess, a land market on which uh, to levy some of these rates. So you're quite right. You see, the problem is that if you have a, a municipality that does not understand its residents, that does not have the information about its residents on its fingertips, uh, you are not, uh, that municipality would not be able to implement any strategy, let alone a rate strategy of some kind. I want to give an example. In Kashkamahuk, where I grew up, most of the houses they are dilapidated it's old public works houses that were built by that belonged to some people who were working at i can't remember what they used to call public works at the time those houses are more than 50 years old okay yes (laughs) some of them i think they are almost 100 years old they are not in habitable states right Mm. people who live in those houses are unemployed right but most of them owe twenty thousand rands on on rates on rates and taxes. So what? When the municipality has collapsed and the municipality has not even been able to render any services to its residents for a long time because that municipality has also not been in a position to pay its staff members. But to make matters worse, most of the people who reside in those in those houses, they are unemployed, but they're expected to pay a monthly rental of 800 rents. From what? And it's the very same government that says, if you don't pay rent, we're going to evict you. Once we evict you, what's going to happen? You are going to stand on an RDP house two-line. How efficient is that? Aren't you supposed to do, as a government, for example, to say exactly what happened in Pumalanga many years ago and Limpopo provinces, where people were given those houses, instead of spending money on RDP houses, you give them the houses and say you have to renovate and refurbish them. But mm. if you understand... Who's, who lives in those houses, whether they are working, for example, you're able to apply an, an indigent policy where you can say, we're going to give you discounts, you're not going to pay for this, we're going to make a contribution towards that as a municipality. But if you can afford, then you need to contribute something to the fiscal so that you don't ride on the backs of those who are poor or hide behind them because you don't want to contribute or pay your share. Mm. Now, it's a complex discussion that needs people who know exactly how to structure a, a municipality and how to run a government. It's a discussion that you need to have, especially because when you go to rural municipalities, you don't have a lot of people. Even the population density is very low. Mm. It's very easy in the majority of instances to know who stays where, who does what, who owns a business, who earns what income, more or less. Right? But it's because there is no appetite to do that. I mean, even um, I, I was in Kaiskamaug recently and they received bills of 20,000 rands and more and they were being harassed for these bills, most of them. But guess what? The harassment stopped immediately when the election date was announced. 
It's the same in Middle Drift. Mm. They had no water there for about two months. And I wouldn't say it was because I was coming there two months later. It is the, when I came there, there was water all of a sudden, right? And then when I left, there was no water. And as soon as the election date was announced, or rather when the court con- confirmed that we must election, now all of a sudden there's running water and there's no problem. I see the only thing that the government has not been able to manipulate probably is load shedding. Uh, but when it comes to the provision of certain basic services, it depends whether there's an election coming up. Mm. It depends whether whether there are, say, new councillors who want to pretend as if a new broom is sweeping clean. But what we need is to put governments in place that are guided by principles and values and who are clear about the basics that they need to get right. Because yeah. but Kauta, providing... Kauta, mm-hmm. wait, 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 wait. There's a, there's a, I, I, I think the point is well made there around, you know, levying and billing people who have no capacity to pay because of ABNC, but also they're not receiving the services. But uh, I think the other part of my question had to do with some of the people of means who might be entrepreneurs, public servants and others who effectively fall out of the collection net because Umdu decides to go, where there's no property rates framework. How do we deal with that particular matter? Because in many ways, you know, some, uh, you know, in the National Treasury might say, well, the municipality has not taken enough fiscal effort to go and collect from some of the people who might be in a position to pay. No, no, that's why I was saying, if you do not know who your residents are, mm. if you don't collect data and be able to analyze it and work with it and make sure that you have the information you have about the residents, you will find that even those who have the means to pay and who are supposed to contribute something towards rates and taxes are going to fall through the cracks. I think a discussion that says, yes, you've classified the municipality, uh, say, as national treasury in a particular way, but it is up to municipalities to actually enter into discussion to say, we need to have a more nuanced discussion around Mm. this issue because because the people, the residents that we have are not a homogeneous group of people. We have people who can afford. You also have ones that cannot afford. But if you're not going to bring a statistic to say, out of 300,000 residents that we have in our municipality, only 50,000 of them, for example, can afford to pay rates and taxes. And then you put systems and, and strategies in place of how to make sure that those ones comply. And then you say the 250,000 ones cannot afford, and therefore we have to find a way of subsidizing them as a state. So it means there needs to be a bit of duality and thinking out of the box and how to deal with this. I think there tends to be a a certain level of laziness to assume Mm. that when a municipality, for example, uh, has limited revenue-raising capacity or has no revenue-raising capacity capacity of of its own, that we must sit back, fiddle our thumbs, and depend on grants that come from National Treasury. Kauta, but also, it Kauta, is, it is an indictment. Day, Sorry, I just want to uh. underscore this point. It's also an indictment on the leadership of those people in those municipalities. If they run the municipalities for many years, and then five years after you've run a municipality, you have not been able to empower anyone to the point where they can be able to contribute to mm. your revenue at a local government sure, level. Sure. It means you're not doing anything meaningful about that. Okay. Dang, so we're going to take a quick spot break. But when we come back, uh, I want us to go further into some of the uh, salient features of your nine points uh, um, uh, that uh, you're committing to the electorate here for the uh, upcoming local government elections. And then I also want us to talk, I mean, since the UDM was formed, uh, in the councils where you have participated, 
how some of your councillors have exercised their oversight. Because I guess that's the other question, uh, that uh, as we educate one another around the civic obligations, even of councillors, I'm quite interested in some of the councillors who've sat in municipal public accounts committees and others, uh, how they, I guess, have responded to their oversight responsibilities in a context of very deepening dysfunction, especially out in the Eastern Cape. And we'll continue with that after this. It is indeed, and the 17 minutes it is now, uh, before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. I'm in discussion as part of our electoral coverage with uh, the uh, United Democratic Movement's Deputy President, uh, Ngabayomzi Kwangwa is my guest, and uh, uh, we're speaking to Chawe about uh, yeah, the offering of the UDM uh, over the uh, next while as uh, we approach uh, the uh, local government elections. And uh, Chawe, before we come back to the nine salient uh, features, which is around the role that some of your councillors have played because your leader, uh, General Olomisa, makes a very important observation and he says the role of political heads who we will be electing because our Bandabashala council are the political ones and then of course there would be the technical administrative ones. Um, their job is oversight. They shouldn't be involved in you know, prioritization, procurement and even you know, uh, employment decisions. Um, talk to me about how some of your councillors you've sent to the many councils where you've been represented, least of all in the Eastern Cape, how they have grappled with this task of oversight and uh, maybe some of the meaningful experiences that you've seen there. Um, they are young and very progressive councillors in the Eastern Cape Mbashi municipalities such as Councillor Ndlodad. Uh, for example, as an opposition leader, there, as 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 an opposition member rather, and a leader of the UDM in that council, he has taken, for example, the local municipality to court on several occasions on matters where he felt that what they were doing they were either inconsistent with the law, right, or that they were violating the rights of, uh, say, some or other residents with respect to whatever that was being done, and the party has supported initiatives where he took the municipality to court and nine times out of ten if my memory serves me well he has won those cases because we were fighting for principles but also you have in councils where in port elizabeth for instance where we have councillor local on a matter with the current acting mayor there i participated in in the resurfacing of roads for instance uh, simple things such as the resurfacing of roads. In instances where in townships where there were no lights, there were just no lights, we had to replace globes and barbs in order for lights to come on because it was an important crime-fighting strategy. But if you were to go to Johannesburg, we have Mrs. Tandinondendua, who, who chairs you. It's, 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 in, it's, it's a coincidence that you spoke about MPEG shortly before the break mm. because Mamunondendua has chaired successfully MPEC in, in, the, in the city of Joburg municipality, that metro, for the past five years. And then in chairing that, metro, that MPEC there, she has been able to hold to account the, the government for its expenditure because we're part of the arrangement. And even recently, she was complimented by her colleagues about how well she has performed her duties over the last five years. And you have instances where 
people from across the political spectrum are wishing that she comes back again and chairs MPEC. And this is the kind of feedback that we're getting from people across, not only, that's why I made an example about Jobek, but even in the Eastern Cape, we hold the government to account. We are not, we don't beat around the bush. You know that in the UGM data, I said, Gomim Bonangamakasi, Sintera Mosabilulu, what and that's the culture we're inculcating when it comes to the leader, leaders, whether they're at local government level, provincial or national level, that we must hold the governments in the respective areas where we operate to account, ask the difficult questions, make sure that services are indeed being delivered to the people. I remember not so long ago, I think in the OR Tambo region, there were issues that Councillor Nobuntu, for example, were dealing with. Uh, to try and make sure that we raise the concerns of our people, we service our people in areas where we, uh, we operate. And where we are not able to do, for example, some of the issues exceed the powers of people at some level, we're able to escalate them for, at a high level for intervention. So we, on a regular basis, make sure that the councillors of the UDM do what is expected of them in the councils in which they represent our people. You're also saying you'll phase out your word commit. I know, because remember, the White Committee has become an extension of the ruling party's uh, uh, clientelistic system, if you like. What you want to do is to try and introduce a slightly better system that is more representative. The current setup of White Committees is an extension of branch committees, uh, rather not the branch committees, but the branch executive committees of governing parties. And ideally what you want in a, what, in a system where you have ward committees, where it works ideally, is to make sure that all the structures in that ward are represented and all the various stakeholders are represented in the development of the ward and in the issues that face the ward. So the current system needs a complete overhaul so that there's no extension of political party patronage system and network that then extends or transforms itself into a ward committee. It's the same problem without digressing, it's a similar problem that you have when we talk about public participation, say, at national level when it mm. comes to legislations and laws. All that political parties do, they bus branch members uh, to meetings of parliament without getting the voices of other stakeholders to participate or to be part and parcel of meetings in the public participation process of parliament. So it seems like political parties have found ways of undermining and infiltrating those structures and rendering them ineffective Mm. in the process. Just for the last time, and then uh, when we come back, I want us to talk about uh, yeah, maintenance, uh, repair of infrastructure, because a big part of the challenge, I guess, at a local government level uh, is aging infrastructure, which uh, makes the provisioning of services very, very difficult. And then we'll also touch on uh, the role that traditional leaders can play uh, in many of the areas that we've spoken about. We'll continue after this. It is indeed, and uh, yeah, we're left with 10 minutes uh, before 9 p.m., and uh, we continue with our electoral coverage, and uh, joined by the United Democratic Movement, this evening. And uh, yeah, just uh, to come back maybe to a theme which uh, is very relevant for our discussion now. Uh, you know, Chawe, just before you joined us, we were talking earlier on about the issue of unused schools. So in the rationalization of schools, uh, there's been, um, I guess, uh, underutilization of some of the supply of schools that there might be 
in rural areas and in many of the townships. Now, uh, there's someone called uh, uh, Umazizi on uh, Twitter uh, who said, are you aware that the Eastern Cape Department of Public Works has issued tenders for proposals for the underutilized schools? Not sure how many communities will be impacted by that. Also, most of them are just open fields and they've been looted by the very same communities, particularly in a new Brighton. Now, I mean, these are the issues that uh, certainly on the ground are a massive bugbear because you would imagine, you know, uh, you know, batati is dena, batati festi, le batate, amapatla, where's his goal, and all manner of other things. Um, I mean, how, how would the UDM respond to this and uh, the task and the challenge of repurposing some of these schools? Let's put it this way. This is an issue in Batane, a solo corner up. Firstly, the the people are, are moving away from rural schools to uh, your former model school, still schools, or schools, properly. Most of those schools, as you figure on as the textbooks on time, mm. right? As a result, as a scholar, is that we are able to produce or ayabonga, now that are not capable to do that because they've been disempowered by Holman. I had a discussion, similar discussion, when this appeared last week. There's also a primary school called Dimitris. As our scholars, the nine infrastructures, we vandalize, we agree, but the problem is vandalized. For the longest period, Abandwana we moved from as scholars, Suga Park to Abambalo, Abasua, Quiz But then what happens in Batane is that then government arranges transport for these uh, for these people for them to be able to go to school but they are lucky if that transport arrives once or takes them once or twice per week and at the very same service providers they queue at the end of the month and expect to be paid for a service that they never rendered mm. so they take close down schools and say you must go to the nearest school provide transport but then they end up creating more problems because then now these children have to walk, walk long distance to, to school and there's a question of safety. Instead of being able to make sure that people are able to access quality education, quiz goal or ethic for children that are accessible to them, but also create incentives for Otishala. If you go to countries such as Germany, just to illustrate this point, is that UPMW happens to be in Bavaria. Why? because of an incentive scheme program that the government has allowed for rural provinces to be able to attract investment, but mm. less tax. What I got can't understand is why don't you create incentives for teachers to be able to go and teach with rural schools so that then once when they get on to a scholar as South Salapa for ten months, the other issue is to get community involvement, get the community to be involved in the running of his goal, which no longer happens. But also, we must stop being hypocrites. If Unomdana or Funda, Emma Sibule, high school, Kubizu meeting, you are also attend. 
say a couple of meters away from you. Oh. But if there's a meeting called in King Williamstown, you will take a taxi because <laughs> it's a white school run by white people. Because you know, we tend to respect Kunati. So, there's a paradigm shift, a mindset shift sure. in order for us to be able to fix ourselves as black people. The other issue that I want to highlight here, Macha, is I'm a product of a system where it was the teachers and the communities that decided to go to look. Before we attained freedom. And it's because the communities themselves and the teachers went an extra mile and said, we want to produce future leaders along South Africa so that when we empower, if us is putting on Jalung or something, the solution is to be in Singapore. You raise very important issues. Um, and I think this issue of responsibility, because we can't see that people will give you a blank stare, you know. Um, so I think... And the, on, mm. and the city thought um, would, when we want to put in the land of speed, her palms is back, because I don't want to be a child with a mother, when we want unemployment, so she's a library. And then next time, when the school civil, you complain that our children do not have libraries. Or that even go to Chisay Clinic, Upindu Colors, the Ukuti, I, Asinanda, Ukusaban, Betukabekula. The other thing is Abandus Lokshin, Babeti Ambulance, Barobi Paramedics, Kumdom Yam, Alosuna Statian, and then go so to complain about response yeah, time. Yeah. Maybe a last one before I see here because no good question is with Katra Yinja. It's around. You know, I mean, the UDM, I guess, uh, largely through the, the person of General Olomisa, has. Um, really taking it upon itself to raise some of the issues around conservation environmentalism. Uh, and we know Ingakumbi Mbumakoloni uh, has been reeling from nearly uh, just over a decade of a drought. And I'm quite interested in, in what the UDM is thinking by way of, uh, you know, uh, mitigation approaches to climate variability, which has massive implications, um, you know, not just for the functioning of government, but the ability of many households to be able to feed themselves. Is out in the UDM, Galimbalela, but more importantly, I guess, massive challenges around climate change. Now, look, Tina, if you followed the manifesto launch of the party, I think even the president spoke about basic things that people can do when it comes to making sure that we have a working environment, even made mention of the tree planting project that he undertook with the late uh, uh, King's relative in KZN, saying that communities should take it upon themselves to introduce, to come up with environmental projects, but to also be able to take care of their own environment. He was even talking about drainage systems that need to make sure that they work. But also the question of drought also means that at a broader level, we should start having the discussion, the climate change discussion that you're talking about, should actually germinate from local government level where most of the impact and most Mm. of the degradation of the issues take place. Make sure that people understand the issues and what is expected of them. But what we also don't do enough as public representatives in general is that when we have constituency meetings, with our constituencies, I don't think that we raise issues of environment of the environment sharply. I want to make another example. 
why are we not able to uh, encourage issues of agriculture self-sufficiency in the in, in areas where we come from be able to support those initiatives we were talking about the drainage system and tree planting issues saying it should be an initiative that we can implement as political parties because of what it does to the environment, but also general issues that have to do with pollution. People need to understand the impact of pollution. We need to make sure that in instances where there are few strike trees, what is their contribution to the pollution rate and environmental change and climate change mm. in general? And whether, if, for example, there are targets that are, talking, uh, are spoken about, about emissions, it should not be an issue where accountability is only done at national level, but residents themselves should be able to hold factories in their, in their areas to account about those issues. Now I'm making this example because I'm mindful that we have a lot of mining companies around South Africa where they're not held to account for the pollution that they cause, for instance, by the communities themselves. It has to be a government minister or someone at national level or via law, but communities don't hold the different economic role players to account for pollution and their contribution to climate change. Mm. Kauta, manbulele, manbulele, chawe. And uh, yeah, thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. And uh, we wish the UDM all of the best as uh, it contests uh, uh, many wards across the length and breadth of this country. Ngoskakul. That there was Ngabayomzi uh, Kwangwa, the Deputy President uh, of uh, the United Democratic Movement. And uh, 9 p.m. is the time, and uh, that's where we leave it. Back with you again uh, tomorrow, same time, same place. You have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. Ukiwa gombona kutubela na nangoku, sasai banga le economy.